The Bible reading tonight is from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I, that, that I may share in its blessings. Uh, I'm just going to pray for us now. So if you'd like to pray with me, please do. And if you agree with what I say, just say amen at the end, which means I agree. How about I pray? Uh, Father God, we want to thank you so much for the gift of your church. And as we come here tonight to gather together, uh, Lord, we pray that you may be with us. Lord, that you may challenge us and teach us by your word. And Lord, you help us to love your son Jesus even more and then have a desire to want to go tell others about him. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't know about you guys, but personally, I am an incredibly competitive person. If you've been around me just for a little bit, you probably already know this about me. I like to win things. I think winning is important. I'm the sort of person that likes sports where there's a clear winner and there's a clear loser. I like games like Monopoly, I don't know, Risk or Chess or or Tennis. And even though I love soccer, I get really frustrated when there's a draw. I'm someone that hates games where everybody is the winner. I hate those sort of games. Let me give you an example. Um, Recently, the lovely Shanae and John, or or last year, came over to our house for dinner and we're playing a board game. And the board game was called Pandemic. Let me explain to you how this game works, right? The, The point of this game is that you try and prevent a pandemic. Maybe the outbreak of SARS or smallpox throughout the world, right? And and the way the game works is you don't verse each other as contestants or players, but you play together and you play against the board game to save the world. Now, look, I I give the game credit. It was fun for like half an hour. And then (laughs) I just wanted to lose. Like, I just wanted like Africa to die of smallpox or like Europe to be wiped out by the Black Plague. I just didn't care. I just wanted us to lose. I wanted there to be a loser. I'm the sort of person that likes them as a clear winner and a clear loser. It's just my personality. Like, I am more than happy to be depressed when I lose as long as I can be delighted when I win. That's sort of who I am. I'm competitive. I think winning is important. And you know what? My wife, Emma, is also quite competitive too. You see, she's actually looking after the kids at the moment, but she's here tonight. And she may look like someone who's sweet and lovely and kind. And she is, don't get me wrong. But she might look like someone who will lose you on purpose, make you feel good about yourself. But man, she won't. Like, you give her a chance in a board game or card game she's good at or in a sporting field she knows, she will dominate you. And she'll do so with a smile on her face. Or I won't. I'll like rub it in. She won't do that, but she will still dominate you. Like I, I think winning's important. My wife thinks winning important. Instead of my boys, like literally, they race each morning just to put their pants on. They just like love winning. It's just part of who they are. You see, I think it's important. My wife thinks it's important, and I think you think it's important as well. 
You see, my guess is that none of you here play a board game, play a card game, play a sport match or whatever, or buy a lottery ticket and just hope, just hope that you'll lose. Like, none of us think that. All of us want to win because winning is important. You may not be as competitive as I am, I give you that, but we all believe that winning is important. Winning is important to me, to my wife, to you, but also, get this, to God. To God. How do I know this? Well, because of our passage tonight, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23, which just keeps on talking about winning. I wonder if you picked it up. The verse will come up on the screen. I'll just point out a few times Apostle Paul says this. It's in the red. You can see it there. Verse 19, Paul says, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Verse 20, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. And he repeats this language all the way down to verse 22, where he explains what he means by winning. Where he says this, he says, I've become all things to all people, so by all possible means I might save some. You see, God cares about winning because God cares about saving. He cares about winning people because he cares about saving people. You see, this evening, as as Matt has already explained to us, we're looking at the second part of our mission statement to make Christ known. And we're going to do that by looking at this passage Not because this passage uses the language of making Christ known, but because this passage nevertheless is about making Christ known. In this passage, specifically to give you a heads up, there's two truths that the Apostle Paul teaches us about winning people for Jesus. And the two truths of this, I'll give it to you now, it's also in your bulletin. Two truths of this, first truth we've got to learn is that winning people for Jesus requires sacrifice. Winning people for Jesus requires sacrifice, truth number one, and truth number two Winning people for Jesus requires adaption, requires adaption. Now, heads up, if you're someone who's visiting here today or just a a regular here at church, but you don't call yourself a Christian yet, I just want to give you a heads up that this talk is probably aimed more at Christians. We don't normally aim it so directly at Christians, um, but I just want to give you a heads up on that so you can have the night off. Uh, Try not to fall asleep, um, or you could if you want, I'll leave that up to you. Anyway, with that in mind, let's dig into 1 Corinthians 9, and let's start at verse 23, and the first truth about winning people for Jesus, which it requires sacrifice. So let me read to us verse 19. It should come up on the screen. Apostle Paul says this. He says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Stop there. Let me just explain this a little bit. Uh, When Paul says he is free, I really struggle with that word. Sorry, free. Free, not free. Free. Anyway, moving on. Um, When Paul says that word, what Paul is saying here is that he is free. Oh man, release from the Old Testament law. Or also he's been redeemed from the Old Testament law. And he's also freed, been freed from sin. He's been freed from the bondage of sin through Jesus Christ. So in other words, he's a Christian. He is in Christ. And what do we get told that he does with such freedom? What we see here is even though he has been released from slavery to sin, He now enslaves himself to other people to win other people. And specifically, he says he's enslaved to everyone, to everyone. Like, I can't even imagine being enslaved to one person, let alone everyone. Obviously, the Apostle Paul here is using metaphorical language instead of literal language. And he unpacks what he means in verse 20 to 22 by giving us four examples of what it means to be a slave to everyone. Let me read that to us. Verse 20 to 22. Apostle Paul says this. He says, To the Jews... I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I have become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I have become like one not having the law, though I am not freed 
from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law, to the weak I become weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. Point number one, Paul knew that winning requires sacrifice. That winning requires sacrifice. You know, when he's around his fellow Jews, because he was a Jew, he ate like a Jew, he dressed like a Jew, he spoke like a Jew. But then, and we even learn about this through the book of Acts. In particular, to give you some examples, in Acts 16, when he was around uh, some Jews, he got his brother Timothy to be circumcised for their behalf. In Acts 21, when Paul came into Jerusalem, the Jews wanted him to be purified. And so he purified himself and paid a purification tax, something he didn't have to do because he's a Christian, but he did it for the sake of the Jews. He became a Jew for the Jews, but he also, he became like one under the law for those who are under the law. You see, Paul decided to sit under the 613 Old Testament laws when he was around people who tried their best to obey them. And he did it to love them. For the Gentiles, he acted like a Gentile. And for the weak, he acted like the weak. You see, Paul becomes a slave to everyone. And he does so. He sacrifices his rights, his cultural preferences, his taste buds, so he can win people for Jesus. Like, get this in particular, right? Like, around the Jews... He would have sacrificed pork, ham, and bacon, like bacon out of all things. I had that for breakfast today, it's awesome. He would have sacrificed those things. You know, around the law keepers, he would have sacrificed his freedom. Around the Gentiles, he would have sacrificed those Jewish customs that he actually liked. And why does he do this? Why does he sacrifice comfort, food, friendships, and security? He does so because he knows winning people for Jesus requires sacrifice. It requires sacrifice. Recently, I watched this documentary called Eddie the Strongman. Uh, it's about a guy called Eddie Hall, who is a professional uh, strongman and whose life ambition is to win the world's strongest man competition. Um, and Eddie knows that winning requires sacrifice. Uh, Eddie is a big boy, as you can understand. He's um, just as big as me. He's uh, six foot three. He's a little bit more muscly, I'll give him that. Um, and he weighs about two and a half times more than me at 85, no, not 85 kilograms, 185 kilograms. Uh, and he's, a, as you can see, quite big. And so he um, actually, there's a few sacrifices to get that big. Let me tell you some of them and what they are. Uh, to begin with, you had a bad sleep last night because of the heat. He has a bad sleep every night and he actually needs a machine uh, to help him sleep because he's that big. Uh, obviously, to get to that size, he needs to work out. He, on average, works out about 14 hours a week, and he works out hard, and he lifts big weights. And as a result, he's hurt himself a little bit during workout sessions. Uh, he's vomited, he's passed out, and get this, even during one lift that was so incredibly uh, painful, one of his eyeballs popped out, and he had to put it back in. This is a man that during competitions, he has sprained muscles and ligaments, and then on top of all this physical sacrifice, financially, he spends about $400 a week just on himself for the food he eats. On average, he needs, about to, he needs to eat about 10,000 calories a day. Uh, he eats about half a kilogram of protein and half a kilogram of carbohydrates. So if your New Year's resolution diet's not going too well, you start to feel good about yourself. And despite all this sacrifice, Eddie is actually yet to win the World's Strongman competition. He has gotten better each time. The last time he, got, he came third... But he's yet to win. But he knows winning requires sacrifice. To give him credit, though, he does hold the world record for the most amount of weight that has ever been lifted by a human being at 500 kilograms. Um, so he's quite a strong man. He knows that winning requires sacrifice. 
Church, if we want to make Christ known, if we want to win people for Jesus, then we need to understand that winning takes sacrifice. Now, before we apply this to our life, though, I think it's important that I, I actually point something out. I think, it's, I think it's important that we understand what Paul is not saying here in this passage. You see, I wonder if you notice that in this passage, Paul didn't say this. He didn't say, to the thief, I became a thief. To the, to the murderer, I became a murderer. To the greedy, I became greedy. You see, Paul understood his freedom in Christ, but he also used such freedom to save and not to sin. You see, he knew that there's costs when it comes to trying to win people for Jesus, but he knew the cost was never sin. You see, unfortunately, I think some people take this verse and they abuse it. And they say, well, to people who don't go to church at all, I'm never going to go to church. Or, or to people who love to get drunk and to take drugs, I'm going to go do the same. That's that an abuse of this passage. Winning comes at a cost, but never at the cost of sin. Truth number one, winning requires sacrifice. Let's try and apply this for our life. Let me ask these few questions. This year, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, who are you seeking to win for him? Who are you seeking to become like to win over? Who are you trying to make sacrifices for? You know, I think sometimes when we look at gifted evangelists such as Edo as he came up and we interview him, I think sometimes we look at him and we hear these stories and we think, man, he's just like a spontaneous guy that is just led by the Spirit and like, I just, I'm not gifted that way and I could never do what he does. Now, don't get me wrong, I do believe that God equips the church and by His Spirit and gives us different gifts, 100%, but I also do believe that God can work through all of us, empowered by His Spirit, to make Christ known. And in particular, whenever I meet people like Edo, this is why I wanted to interview him, is what you notice is actually, he's not so spontaneous as he actually is intentional. He's intentionally making choices and taking steps of faith. He's thinking through, who can he love? Who can he make sacrifices for? You see, a lot of gifted evangelists sacrifice time, money, awkward conversations so they can love, Jesus, love people and point them to Jesus. And so this year, how can we intentionally make sacrifices for people? Maybe for those of us who are really social and, and got a lot of friends, I'm going to propose to you, if you've got maybe too many Christian friends, maybe you should sacrifice a few so you can actually have some time and capacity to build friendships with people outside of the church and you can get to know and love. For those of us on the opposite end of the spectrum who may be incredibly shy, maybe you can sacrifice your comfort and some awkward conversations to get to know your, your neighbors or work colleagues and invite them over for dinner. Last week, um, my wife and I, Emma and the kids, went to my neighbor's uh, daughter's birthday party and it was great. I got to know them. There was lots of awkward conversations, don't get me wrong, especially when I got asked to not jump on the jumping castle um, because it was for kids. To my defense, I was with my son. I wasn't just there jumping by myself. But that's the sort of conversations you have when, when you don't know people too well. For those of us who struggle to be generous, maybe we can give some money towards missionaries at church. For those of us who are workers, maybe we can spend some time after work with our work colleagues. For those of us who love coffee, maybe we can sacrifice going to every different joint and actually go to one joint and get to know the people there. And as we do this and try to make friends with people, let me give you a heads up, you're going to have to sacrifice some of your taste buds, some of your music tastes, maybe what are sports you want to watch for the sake of loving people and getting to know them and winning them for Christ. How do we win people for Jesus? Truth number one, winning requires sacrifice. It requires sacrifice. Truth number two, let's talk about this, winning people for Jesus requires adaption. Requires adaption. Let's look at verse 22 to 23 again. 
Paul says this, should come on the screen. He says, to the weak, I have become weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. You know what's really interesting here is, once again, what Paul doesn't say. You know what's really interesting here is that Paul doesn't say that he's like an ascetic monk. Like he's not someone that promotes um, abstinence and like legalistic self-control and like sacrificing good things just for the sake of sacrificing things. You know, like he doesn't say here, imitate me as I, as I give up alcohol. Imitate me as I give up warmth or security or money or possessions for no reason. He doesn't say that. But instead, he says, imitate me as, as I give up alcohol to be around the recovering alcoholic. Or imitate me as I, as I have a beer with my neighbor as we watch the footy, even though I don't like beer. Or he says, imitate me as I, you know, give up things or I try new things for the sake of those I want to win over. Imitate me as I adapt to people around me. Imitate me as I share the gospel in different ways. Imitate me as I adapt my language, my clothes and more to try and win people for Jesus. You see this throughout the book of Acts, if you've ever read, it, read that book. It's a great book of the Bible. You see the Apostle Paul, around the Jews, he'll talk about the Old Testament. But then around the Gentiles, he'll talk about this unknown God, or he won't refer to the Old Testament as much. You know what? Paul's not the only person in the Bible who does this. You also see the gospel writers do the same. Let me illustrate this to you with a diagram that should hopefully come up on the screen. as to how the gospel writers adapt the message without compromising it in the gospels. He says, four gospels, witness accounts of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, and out of those four different uh, gospels, they're written predominantly to four different audiences. To begin with, Matthew is written primarily to the Jews, Mark to the Romans, Luke to the Gentiles, and John to the Greeks. And when they do this, they portray Jesus in a slightly different light. So Matthew portrays Jesus as the Jewish Messiah and King. Mark presents him as a faithful servant. Luke presents him as the perfect man, and John presents him as God. When you look at the genealogies about Jesus, when you look at Matthew, we can see that it's traced to Abraham and David. In Mark, there's no genealogy because at the present matters more than the past. Whereas in Luke, it's traced back to Adam to show that Jesus was fully human. And finally, in John, Jesus is traced back to the eternal word of God in John 1. And then finally, notable features about these Gospels. In, to Matthew, as he's speaking to the Jews, he has 50 Old Testament quotes. Whereas Mark, who's speaking to the Romans, has little Old Testament quotes, but about 35 action-based miracles and a lot of present tense language. Luke to the Gentiles has 13 unique women that are not in the other Gospels. He explains the Jewish customs and also Jesus' childhood. While in John, this famous seven I am statements, which point to Jesus being God, are talked about. And of course, there is John 1, which parallels Jesus 1 as Jesus being God. You see, hopefully you can see what I'm trying to say here. Both Paul, but also the gospel writers were adapting their message without compromising it for the sake of their audience, for the sake of loving people. And so church, if we want to make Christ known, if we want to win people for Jesus, then we need to remember that winning takes adaption. Takes adaption. But warning, warning. You see, there's one or two errors you can fall into as you go about doing this. One is um, over-adaption and one is under-adaption. Or put it another way, uh, one is um, syncretism and another one is sectarianism. Or to put it another way, I think as Christians we're always tempted to either uh, leave the world or to be exactly like the world 
when Jesus wants us to love the world, to love the world. Uh, Before I was a pastor, I was a civil engineer, as a lot of you know, and when I was a civil engineer, I got to work on some big construction projects. And uh, whenever uh, you're building a humongous road uh, in particular, and and you're trying to put a a cut, sorry, uh, through a mountain or a hill, uh, a lot of time you need to remove a lot of rock. And the best way to remove a lot of rock is actually by explosives. Now, if you don't know much about explosives, what you don't do to try and remove a whole lot of rock is you don't put the explosives on the top and just blow it up and see what happens. You would barely make a dent. But instead, what you do is you actually drill down inside the rock, deep into it, and then you release the explosives so it blows up and has maximum effect. You see, what Paul is talking about here is basically a drilling and blasting technique. As he says, I've become all things to all people, so by all possible means I may save some. You know, he's trying to avoid under-adapting and over-adapting to culture. He's trying to sensitively get to know people, love people, understand them and their culture, and then try and challenge them with the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel. And so as a church, we need to think through, how can we do this as well? How can we do this as well? How can we love our culture, understand it, drill into it, and then challenge it with the gospel? As a church, one way we are trying to do this corporately is actually by updating our internet presence. Uh, Recently, I read a book on culture, and in this book, it explained how cities and cultures of each generation are shaped by the technological advancements of their time. So to give you an example, for the last hundred years, believe it or not, our cities have been transformed by the invention of the car. You see that pretty evidently. But more recently, the invention of the internet and social media has also shaped how our cities and cultures interact today and work. To give you an example, uh, today on average, the uh, average Australian spends about 18 hours a week on the internet. About 87% of Australians access the internet daily, and about 99% of Australians own an internet-enabled device. And I might not use it, but I own one. And apparently about 70% of people actually have a Facebook account. In our world, and our culture, the internet and social media shapes our culture. And so for this reason, uh, today we're actually launching a, a newly designed church website, uh, for the, see, And we've been doing this for the last year as a team of us together to try and put this together. Now maybe you're thinking, Joel, what was wrong with the old website? Well, not much. But unfortunately, it wasn't a responsive website, which meant it didn't look so good on mobile phones. And today, more people access the internet on their mobile phone than they do on computers. And so that's why we've built this new website. You see, in a world where culture is changing at a rapid pace, as a church, we need to figure out how can we adapt to our culture? How can we love our culture? We need to ask such questions like, why do we do what we do? We need to ask questions like, what can we do to try and uh, reach out to more people? Or or what things do we need to stop doing because it's not relevant? As a church, we need to think about that, but then also as individuals. We need to ask ourselves, how can we understand people and love them more? How can we understand people who are different to us? Maybe different ages, different races, different cultures. Recently, uh, one of our own, Andrew Schockel, who a lot of you know, maybe some of you don't, has actually written a book on this called Changing Lanes in Crossing Cultures. I recommend, if you're interested, buy his book, read it, and learn how you can adapt to culture not just to Australian culture, but for other cultures that are moving in to Wollongong. So, what does Paul teach us in this passage? Two truths about winning people for Jesus. It requires sacrifice and it requires adaption. Now, I want us just to stop there for a second 
and I just want to acknowledge something. And what I want to acknowledge is this, is that this is difficult. <laughs> uh, this is difficult. I don't know about you, but whenever I read about the Apostle Paul, I love reading about him. I get really excited about him, but then I get really burdened at the concept of trying to be like him. Like, I don't know about you, but personally, I prefer it when people make sacrifices for me. You know, I prefer it when people adopt to my cultural preferences and the things I like. And I think maybe you're probably the same. My, my guess is that some of us here, when we look at the Apostle Paul, can, can think, man, Paul, I get this. You, you're, you know, you're clever, you're gifted, but you're an apostle and, well, I'm an accountant. Or, or, or maybe you can think, you know, like, uh, okay, Paul, I get this, but you're this famous missionary that, you know, spreads the gospel throughout the world. But maybe, you know, I'm just a mother who spreads peanut butter on toast. You know, like, how can, I'm not as gifted as you are. Like, I, I, we can look at Paul's example, his advice, and be like, that's great. But, but I can't do that. I can't be like Paul. And look, if you, if you feel this way, and I feel like this way all the time, I want to encourage you by reading out to you a verse from the book of Acts. It's a really great verse. In Acts 17, it says this, 1726. It says, From one man, he, that's God, made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. Friends, what this passage basically tells us in Acts is that God doesn't want you to be poor. He, he, he wants you to be yourself. He wants you to understand that God has placed you in your neighborhood, in your workplace, at university, or wherever you are located, to reach the people around you and to love them and win them for Christ. You don't have to be poor. God doesn't want you to be poor. He wants you to be yourself as you seek to make Christ known. Nevertheless, I think when we talk about this topic of evangelism or talking about Jesus, I think we can feel more burdened than determined. And I think that's why Paul ends this passage in verse 23. And let me read that out to us again. Paul says this. He says, I do all this, you know, winning people for the sake of the gospel, and that I may share in its blessings. Uh, before I came to this church, uh, I was at another church called Menai Anglican for a long time, and we did youth ministry. Um, at that church, I had a really big uh, youth ministry, like over 100 kids. And so whenever I had to explain a game to these students, like, I don't know, capture the flag or rob the nest, um, it took a bit of effort and it was a bit chaotic. Um, and so most of the time, the students would ask the simple question, what do we get if we win? Now, the way you answer that is really important. You see, if you say to them, you get this huge bag of chocolates and all these lollies, they're attentive. They're, they're watching you closely. They're starting to strategize about how they're going to win. They're talking to one another. They're whispering. They're well behaved. But as soon as you say to them, oh, what you get, guys, is the joy of winning. No one cared. <laughs> no one paid attention. No one listened, except for people who are incredibly competitive like myself. Maybe those one or two people did. But that was just the reality of it. There had to be a good prize for people to pay attention and to want to win. Unfortunately, I think a big reason why if you're a Christian at times, you're not so motivated to, to I guess, win people for Jesus is because you just don't think the prize is worth it. We just don't think the prize is worth it. And yet, in the Bible, in particular in Luke's Gospel, Jesus talks about with the parable of the lost son, the lost sheep, and the lost coin, that, that heaven rejoices over one person repenting and coming to know him. And so, look, church, if our hearts are distracted by the prizes of this world, if our hearts don't find joy in seeing people to come to know Christ, then we need to repent. 
We need to repent and we need to pursue the blessings of the gospel. We need to remember that hell is dreadful and heaven is delightful. We, we need to remember that eternity is a long time and that heaven is going to be amazing and that there is no greater joy than seeing souls one for Jesus. And, and look, I know maybe some of you are feeling like, Joel, but like, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been a Christian for a long time. And, and this is hard work, and it is. And it is. But let me, let me try and finish it on this, try and get your heart moving on this. Firstly, we're all empowered by the Spirit, like I said. But, but secondly, remember the gospel message. The gospel shouldn't inspire you to do everything. You should love because you've been loved, but also you should adapt and sacrifice because that's what Jesus did for you. Like, like, remember the gospel message. Remember how Jesus adapted himself, left God the Father at his side, and became a baby, became one of us to save us. Remember how he sacrificed his, his friendships, his life for the sake of us. Remember what Jesus did to save us. Remember the good news of the gospel. May that motivate you to do the same. Not because you have to, to, to earn salvation or to earn God's love, but because you have been gifted salvation and loved by God. And look, I know a lot of us are probably thinking, yeah, okay, I get this, Joel, but if I'm honest with you, like, I'm really busy. I'm really busy. Um, and I don't know if I have time to adapt and make these sacrifices and, and be intentional like you're saying. If, if that's you, I, let me say one more thing to hopefully try and get you thinking this through. I want you to hypothetically go on a thought experiment with me. I love when I do this. I don't know if you do, but anyway. Uh, and I want you to think about 2,000 years ago, I want you to think that the God, the Trinity gathered together. So it was God, the Father, the Son. And, and I want you to imagine that God was like, Jesus, Holy Spirit, come here. We, we have a problem. These, these humans, they keep on sinning. They keep on rebelling. I, 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 I give them commands. I don't listen to them. You know, this, this is a real problem. They can't save themselves. They, they need a savior. They need someone to go down there, become like one of them, live the perfect life, die on their behalf so that they can be forgiven and have eternal life, be saved. And, and Jesus, you know, your name means savior. So, you know, surely that's part of your job description. Surely you can do take one for the team, right? And, and then I want you to imagine if Jesus was like, Ah, oh, like, do I have to? Like, I'm really busy. You know, like, me and, like, I've been building this alternate universe. You know, like, me and the Holy Spirit are halfway through, you know, watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine on Netflix. You know, I'm just really busy. Like, I just, oh, I just don't know if I want to. Look, I, I, I know I'm being jovial here, but I, I hope you get the point. I read this quote recently on a book about busyness, which says that more Christians have died to busyness than to bullets. And I think it's true. You know, church, if we, wanna, if we want motivation or encouragement, we're feeling down as to, as to why should we keep on trying to love people and make sacrifices and adapt for them, look to the gospel. Look to what's been done for you. And, and look, tonight, if you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, the thing I, I want to point out to you is what Jesus has done to try and win your soul. How he came and humbled himself as a baby. How he lived the perfect life. How he was deserted by his friends. How he was then tortured and brutally died on your behalf. And also how he rose. So you can have forgiveness and eternal life. And if you ever wonder, why can't Christians just like stick together? Why can't they have holy huddles and never talk about evangelism or mission? You know, why can't they just focus on becoming like Jesus rather than telling other people about him? Well, we do want to do that, and we do do that. But the truth is, the more you come like Jesus, the more you'll start to talk about him. Because you see, Jesus himself was a sent one who came to the world to seek and save the lost. And so if we're to become like him, we are to do the same and follow his example.
So, what does Paul teach us about winning people for Jesus? Two truths. Winning requires sacrifice, and winning requires adaption. How should we feel about this? My hope is, my hope is, is that you'll feel determined rather than burdened. That you remember the gift of the Holy Spirit, but also the gospel that saves you. And look earlier, I asked you, are you someone who likes to win things? Are you competitive? My hope is, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you are someone who likes to win things. And my hope is, is that you want to see souls won for Christ. My hope is, is that you realize that heaven is dreadful and hell, no, heaven is delightful and hell is dreadful. Sorry, you've got to mess up. My hope is you remember that eternity is a long time. And so look, this year, practical questions. Who are we going to seek to win? Who are we going to try and become like? Who are we going to sacrifice for? Who are we going to adapt for? Because the truth is, is that Jesus won us over through sacrifice and adaption. The question is, will we respond by doing the same? How about I pray to close? Father God, we want to thank you so much for the good news of the gospel and how we are saved through faith alone and Christ alone and what he did at the cross alone. We thank you so much that we are loved by not what we do, but what he has done. And Lord, we thank you so much that he made sacrifices and that he adapted himself to win us over. And so, Lord, we want to be like him because we want to see souls one for him. Because we do know that it is an amazing joy and privilege to be in a relationship with you. And so, Lord, as a church, help us to know Christ and also help us to make him known. Help us to be intentional. Help us to rely upon your spirit. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.